This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about the state's growing unfunded pension liability, the state's ongoing COVID-19 mitigation, and the impacts on frustrations about unemployment and more. Plus, we'll get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about reopening Illinois, the state's vaccination delays, and investigating the COVID-19 outbreak at the LaSalle Veterans Home. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at TheCenterSquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here are some of the top stories from the past week. Illinois' long-term pension debt has surpassed $300 billion, according to a ratings agency. Cole Lauterbach has more. Moody's Investor Services says Illinois' pension obligations ballooned 19% in 2020 to what they now estimate to be $317 billion. They say it's due to a combination of low interest rates and lower-than-expected returns on investment. The state says the same figure is only $144 billion. Bill Bergman with Truth in Accounting explains why the two estimations are so different. Anytime you have an interest rate that is X, but then you use another interest rate that's Y, the, the, the larger interest rate, because it's in the denominator, will lead to a lower present value. And that's what, the, that's what the, the state of Illinois is reporting. Illinois lawmakers passed legislation to backload its funding payments, paying less than the amount that would lower the debt in recent years with plans to escalate contributions years down the road. I'm Cole Lauterbach. An advocate for Illinois' hotel and lodging industry says while other states are lifting COVID-19 restrictions, the lack of clarity from Governor J.B. Pritzker on when Illinois will open will have lasting consequences. Illinois Hotel and Lodging Association President Michael Jacobson said there's no middle ground on opening things up for conventions to drive major economic activity. As of right now, there's nothing between phase four, where we're limited to events of 50 people, to phase five, where everything goes back to 100% capacity and goes back to normal. Over the past few days, Jacobson's been regularly posting to Twitter stories of other states opening their economies and announcements of convention planners canceling their Illinois events well into August. Once we leave these shows, we are at significant risk of losing those conventions permanently to these other states. So it's going to have a much longer-term economic impact on our state than most people realize. And the chorus is growing in Illinois to urge the governor to provide the hospitality sector some clarity and certainty about when things will open up more. The governor Wednesday didn't give specifics about when he'd relax COVID-19 mitigation. I'm terrifically pleased by the direction of things, and if it keeps going that way, we'll be able to open up more and more and finally, finally get past this pandemic. Illinois Comptroller Susanna Mendoza said the state needs to show plans to open sooner rather than later. If we are on the right track in our fight to contain COVID-19, 
then we would like to, at the appropriate pace and with the appropriate safeguards, allow the state to start planning for conventions to come back to Illinois. State Senator Susie Glowiak Hilton said the current model of Phase 4 with a cap of 50 people and Phase 5 with no restrictions is too much of a difference to be kept idle. It's all or small, and we need an in-between piece uh, to kind of ramp us up and, and plan and give us some predictability to these folks that really need it because we got to get people back to work. A labor leader told the Senate committee Thursday they're looking for further conversations with the Pritzker administration to open things up more, but those conversations have yet to take place. State Senator Sarah Feigenholtz said meetings expected in 10 days aren't going to cut it compared to other states. That is the same week that Connecticut, Nevada, and New York are actually already going to be implementing their 150, 100 and 150 capacity. But, you know, we're still in these internal conversations. Illinois state lawmakers say they have constituents who are suicidal because of continued frustrations about getting through the state's unemployment agency. During a virtual hearing Thursday, the Illinois Department of Employment Security officials said the reason their offices remain closed is because they worry about their employees getting threats from angry constituents. Lawmakers like State Representative Fred Crespo said while IDES offices remain closed, lawmakers' offices are open. We have to seize people face to face. I can't tell you how many boxes of Phoenix, my office has gone through because we just don't even know what to tell them anymore. State Representative Lindsay LaPointe said constituents are at their wits end and some are suicidal over their frustrations. People around the state are, are having severe mental health problems because of their inability to communicate um, with IDS. State Representative Sue Shear said too many of her constituents have said they've been mocked by Illinois Department of Employment Security staff or hung up on after three seconds, and it's taking its toll, especially when unemployment situations become complex. It's heartbreaking. They're saying they're going to commit suicide, and it's very hard for me and my staff to sleep at night. But they're getting the runaround between Illinois and Texas back and forth. IDES director Kristen Richards responded to the repeated concerns over the mental health of claimants. I want to make it very clear to everyone in this committee that this is something that is deeply felt by the employees of this agency. Uh, I think all of us can agree that in a lot of ways, this has been the hardest year of everyone's lives. She said they're evaluating setting up a virtual connection at physical offices for claimants to get direct assistance, but didn't provide a specific timeline. Many Illinois schools spent large sums of money on additional non-teaching staff to allow kids in classrooms, while teachers taught from home. Cole Lauterbach has that story. The Illinois Association of Regional Superintendents of Schools released its annual survey of administrators this week. The association found hundreds of classes had to be canceled or returned to remote learning due to a lack of teachers willing to go into a classroom for risk of COVID-19 exposure. IARSS President Mark Kleisner said the problem was more chronic in rural Illinois schools. Five vacancies in a school of 100 kids you'd have to shut the school down. To combat this, schools spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on substitutes or paraprofessionals to teach or just be in school when teachers taught from home. All of those medical complications led to a situation that exacerbated our need for additional parapros, for additional teachers, um, support staff. Most school administrators expect the shortages to be worse next fall. I'm Cole Lauterbach. A new era has begun for the Illinois Democratic Party. Kevin Bessler has more. Congresswoman Robin Kelly will take the helm after defeating Michelle Harris by a narrow vote by members of the Democratic State Central Committee. I look forward to working collaboratively with you as we strengthen our party and work together to build a bench across our 102 counties. 
As President Obama said, we can disagree without being disagreeable. The vote took place after a memo questioned whether a federal office holder could serve as chair, a position which is tasked to raising money for the party. Senator John Culleton said this is going to be a problem. I went to 80 fundraisers a year on average. And you know the donors wanted to see the Senate president. So to be a chairman and not be able to raise money is really a limitation. Michael Madigan has held the party chair position since 1998. I'm Kevin Bessler. Democrats at the State House are asking for one of their Republican colleagues to be investigated for being in Washington, D.C. the day of the January 6th Capitol riots. State Representative Bob Morgan said the line was crossed when State Representative Chris Miller attended events in D.C. before the deadly Capitol riots. His resolution condemning Miller also announced a claim filed with the Legislative Inspector General to investigate the Republican. I'll let the Inspector General uh, look into exactly what role Representative Miller did or didn't have on January 6th. Uh, and, and I think at this point, we're beyond um, any number of, of explanations or excuses that we've heard over the last month and a half. If we don't take actions to make sure that doesn't get repeated, I'm sure Congresswoman Miller uh, will be at the next rally. And Representative Miller will continue to talk about others as terrorists and the enemy. Miller couldn't be reached for comments. U.S. Representative Mary Miller told WMAY her husband was nowhere near the riot and they do not condone violence. Their goal is to scare conservative Christians, especially to be quiet and don't get involved. And I can say they may be coming for us today, but they'll be coming for you tomorrow. And I want to tell everybody to grow a backbone and get involved and speak up. She said this is the latest in a series of increasing attacks from Democrats. The attack is not just him or on me, but it's on all my colleagues. We are all getting vile, vile messages and death threats. They're misrepresenting and lying about us, taking things out of context. Those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. And welcome back to the Illinois In Focus podcast. This is the Crosstalk segment. I'm Chris Krug. I'm joined by Executive Editor Dan McCaleb. What's up, Dan? Hey, how you doing, Chris? Happy to be here as usual. Fantastic, man. Let's get right into the news. States around the United States are starting to reopen. Illinois, not exactly one of them. Not just yet. What's going on here, man? Yeah, so uh, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, uh, this week said uh, his state is going to fully reopen next week. He's going to end the uh, state's statewide mask mandate, no capacity restrictions at restaurants or anywhere else. Um, and that's that's happening uh, you know, essentially a week from now, on March 10th. Okay. Um, um, Mississippi, Mississippi, yeah, Mississippi going in there too, yeah. Going in the same direction. Um, other states loosening restrictions, uh, opening things up. In Illinois, we continue to ask Governor Pritzker when we're going to open things up here, and he continues um, to quote the science and the data that says, I'm not sure exactly what it says, but it says we're not reopening, according to the governor. 
I think he needs to flick the magic eight ball one more time and just see, you know, if a, if a different answer comes up. Um, the you know our story, the lead of our story, you know, um, uh, specifically states a lack of clarity, and that th this entire year, and we're coming up on a year, Dan. I, you know, we're we're taping this on on Thursday. And um, so, you know, we are a mere number of days away from the very first executive order that came from Governor Pritzker. One year. We've lived like this for one year. And, and we still have a, la a lack of clarity. Um, I I'm not sure if, the, if, if that, that lack of clarity is, is going to remedy itself in the next uh, – in the next couple of days, my concern is that this lack of clarity doesn't remedy itself in the next couple of months. Numbers are down. Hospital uh, admissions for COVID related things are down. Um, deaths are down. Deaths are down. Uh, we're getting teachers pushed through the process of vaccination. Um, of course, you know, that that's a, that's a subject unto itself, but nonetheless, you know, uh, children were never identified, have never been identified as vectors for COVID-19. But the excuses are the excuses are peeling off. Um, what's next? Well, what's it, next here specifically? What 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 is it that we have to look forward to, or what is it that we're that we're going to actually see? Well, that, that's that that's just it. We don't know because the the governor is just waffles on everything. Here we are, March. You've got baseball start, baseball season starting in a month. You've got summer convention season um, starting in a couple of months, and we just don't know what we're going to be able to do for those who are pl who plan, you know, events and get-togethers. You need you need a, you need some time to plan that thing, right? So sure. if we don't know where we're going to be two months from now, three months from now, four months from now, we're going to lose all of that business. The economy's going to continue to be affected by the lack of decisiveness um, by our state government, by particularly our governor, J.B. Pritzker. Um, you, for example, you know, my wife decided that she's going to drag me to a Vincent Van Gogh exhibit. They, they're they having the exhibit in Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, Sounds uh, very cultured, Dan. <laughs> yes. Looking forward to it. So I decided, well, why not, you know, take that opportunity to do something that I want to do since I'm going to do this for her. Um, she, she likes to go to baseball games too. So I started looking up uh, you know, baseball tickets and, you know, the teams don't know what their capacity is going to be. So they're not selling tickets. You can buy tickets on the secondary market, probably season ticket holders who, you know, who have tickets to all of the games who are reselling their tickets. But how do I even know if I'm going to be able to use those tickets? Because I don't know. Um, uh, uh, if if I'm going to be able to go because of limited capacity or even zero capacity, our producer John in, in the uh, pre-show discussion mentioned that the the Bulls and the Blackhawks are both making playoff pushes right now. They're not allowed to have anybody at their home stadiums. Most stadiums across the country, most teams across the country have some limited capacity. That's right. Uh, but but here in Illinois, no. Hey guys, I actually need to jump in here for a second. I think you'd appreciate this news. The St. Louis Cardinals have already announced that they're going to have 32% of their stadium available for fans this year. Wow. Well, I hope that they're not all breathing in the direction of Illinois. I, I don't want, I don't want the, uh, I don't want the Metro East, you know, getting, uh, getting that uh, Cardinal variant. <laughs> that was producer John Spataro, our baseball guru. 
Uh, thank you for that bit, bit of information, uh, John. So 32% capacity at St. Louis Cardinals games. Right now, capacity at Chicago Cubs games, if the season were to start you know, this week, next week, it is going to start in about four weeks, is zero. Yeah, right. And, the, and, and uh, I mean, if you laid that into Wrigley Field, you'd be talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, what, 12, 12 to 14,000 fans at, at, uh, at Wrigley and, and um, you know, uh, probably 15,000 mm-hmm. fans uh, at, uh, at Sox Park on the south side. Um, hey, Dan, is it like just looking at the comparison and the, and the, and the contrast here, you, you'd referenced uh, Governor Pritzker, uh, our governor here in the state of Illinois, um, with non, you know, nondescript, very murky, unclear, you know, leanings toward nowhere on what to do next with COVID. Here's what uh, Texas Governor Abbott said. With the medical advancements of vaccines and antibody therapeutic drugs, Texas now has the tools to protect Texans from the virus. We must now do more to restore livelihoods and normalcy for Texans by opening Texas 100%. Make no mistake, COVID-19 has not disappeared, but it is clear from the recoveries of vaccinations, reduced hospitalizations, and safe practices that Texans are using that state mandates are no longer needed. He is leaning into personal responsibility and self-accountability and allowing uh, freedom to be restored effectively in uh, in the state of Texas. We've heard absolutely nothing resembling this from the nanny state approach that Governor Pritzker has taken here in uh, the uh, Prairie State. No, that's that's exactly right. Um, not only will he not give a time frame, he won't even give the parameters for when things will open up. He keeps saying when there's herd immunity. Well, what is what is herd immunity? What how many people need to get vaccinated? That's something we're going to talk about here in a second too. The mm-hmm. the vaccination process here in the state of Illinois is just uh, abysmal. Um, yeah. But he 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 won't set the benchmark. Set set a benchmark. The the goalposts have moved since day one of this, as you said earlier. It's almost a full year now that we've been been under his restrictions, um, and we don't know when we're going to come out of them. Yeah. So here's so let's just leave, let's just like just vault over to this vaccination story. This has also been reported by the Center Square this week. Um, to date, six point eight percent of Illinoisans have received two shots. That is drum roll, please. 46th in the country. Number 46, to... baby. Illinois. Oh, nice about... job, guys. I was about nice to give job. you a, a, a drum roll, but I failed miserably. So I'm, yeah, I didn't, that was that 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 was like you were doing like the Catholic right. school clap there, man. Something like that, right? That was that wasn't good. It what it was it was like non-existent. Seven other states have fully vaccinated more than 10% of their residents. Illinois, number 46 in the nation. Who's responsible for that? I mean, we can we can we drag Donald Trump out of Mar-a-Lago and and like run him down the street and blame him for this? Well, I mean, or is it? You know, I mean, so it's amazing this, though. It's it's amazing that the finger pointing to Washington D.C. has sort of you know kind of slipped to the wayside now that you yeah, have a Democratic president in there. I noticed that. Uh, there's not as much uh, finger pointing by the governor's office mm. uh, to Washington to blame for w- what's going on here in Illinois, it's pathetic that in a state like Illinois, um, that 
fewer than 7% of the population when this vaccination's been out there for two months now, uh, two full months, uh, unless fewer than 7% of the population has been fully vaccinated. The, the fact that we rank 46th in the nation, I guess you could say, well, at least it's not 49th or 50th, because in most economic uh, rankings, we're somewhere, we're either last or second to last. Yeah. Um, so it's, maybe it's progress. If you want, if you, you know, if you're someone who sees uh, the glass is half full, you can say, hey, we're 46th, we're not 49th. Um, but still, come on, it's pathetic. No, uh, 46, you, you don't even, you don't get a glass. Uh, so yeah, you can sit over there and watch me sip on this. Um, personal anecdote, yeah. my dear sweet mother, you know, who is in, I guess, like the one B group, even right. though she's in her seventies, she's in pretty good health. She's Zumba's X number of times a week, which is great. You know, as I'm working from home, uh, to, to hear the Zumba thumping in the background. Um, how does the Zumba go? Oh, it's just a lot of loud, you know, I don't know. It's just the Brazilian dance thing. It's just, no, it's not good, man. Um, so at any rate, she signs up and finally gets on a list. She gets the her, her, her ticket pulled and, hey, come on, you can get a vaccine. We live in the Chicago suburbs. It's not like we don't live in the, you know, like uh, in a, in a sort of a, you know, a, a populous place, right? Um, plenty of know, access to healthcare. Yeah, plenty of access, access to, to healthcare. She, had a, she right. had to drive 50 minutes away to get this right. vaccine. It just look, here's the grip. If Pritzker wants to to take accountability and responsibility for the recovery of this thing, which in theory is is his entire opportunity to portray himself as some kind of a COVID hero, right? Then do it. Do what you're supposed to be doing. Why in the world is my mom driving, who's in her 70s, nearly an hour away to go get in, 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 the, in the Chicago metro area, driving an hour away to go get vaccine? That's crazy. That just makes no sense at all. There's 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 hospitals in just about every community in, in the suburbs, uh, uh, healthcare facilities, uh, all over the place. How can why are we at, why are we at 15 20 percent uh, vaccination rates? Why are we lingering at below seven percent? Well, he's going to um, wear this. He's he's going to he's going to have to wear this because you know as you and I talked about at the very beginning of this, it was very easy last year to say there's no national plan. They're letting us make our own decisions. We're not capable of making our own decisions. I was left, you know, from the Rauner administration, nothing to work with. It's a hollowed out shell of whatever. But despite the fact that, you know, that our that our budget, our state budget just continues to go up and up and up. Somehow it's like, oh, it didn't have the tools and the infrastructure to do this. It didn't exist and blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, we haven't said anything about Illinois Department of Employment Securities and their inability in a year's time to fix the problems in there. These issues, and in, in particular, the, the immunization side of this, okay, these are state issues. These are not federal issues. These are state issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. State's not state being issues. managed well, let's, period. Let, let, let's just doing the quick math on this. It took, it took two months to get fewer than 7% of the population vaccinated. So if you extend that out, are we going to be here in December and fewer than 35% of the uh, population is going to be vaccinated. That's out. That's that's outrageous. So Illinois is. So here's what this like. You know the, this ranking, you know, really means that we will be 
the fourth or fifth last, and I don't know if Puerto Rico is included or DC is included in this vaccination number. I, I, I simply don't know. I don't know if this is 46 out of 50, 46 out of 51, 46 out of 52. It doesn't matter. We'll be like the seventh, sixth, or fifth last state to reach herd immunity in the yeah. United States. Yeah. With a world city like Chicago, uh, smack dab in you know in the in the middle of our sort of our in theory our economic engine and world That's healthcare outlets like Northwestern and you know and, and, right. and all the right. other providers that we yeah. have here right right and 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 we and we have we have pharmaceutical manufacturers in this state I mean this is a joke it's an absolute joke all right no laughing matter the audit push to figure out what actually happened to the Quincy Veterans Home, or excuse me, the LaSalle Veterans Home. The Quincy Veterans Home, we're pretty clear on what happened there. That wasn't great. The LaSalle was, Veterans Home. Well, we, we, had, we had hearing after hearing after hearing after right. hearing after hearing, uh, investigative committee hearings after investigative committee hearings on the Quincy Legionnaires outbreak from a few years ago under the right. Browner administration. Um, but the LaSalle uh, Veterans Home, uh, uh, not so much just yet. So there's been a call by uh, lawmakers, Democrats and Republicans. This is actually a bit of a bipartisan effort to have the uh, the state's auditor general investigate into what actually happened that led to 36 veterans, 36 people who served our country, um, who put their lives on the line, uh, put their freedom on the line to, to preserve our freedoms, died in a, like a, a few week period uh, back in November. Um, and here we are in March, and we're, we're still calling for an Auditor General investigation into what the outbreak and what happened and why the state was so slow to respond when we knew we had an outbreak there. Um, if we had responded more quickly, we could have saved lives. Um, unfortunately, uh, the legislature, which is barely meeting now, should be in full session by now, um, dragging their feet on this. Um, but at least they're calling for uh, an auditor general's investigation into, into the app. So in our state, when we investigate things internally, we have this incredible knack of not finding very much. Right. I do not have a tremendous amount of hope for outcome here. I, I mean, I hate to, you know, Danny, you know, I'm not, an, I'm not a pessimist. I'm an optimist, but I, I, I have a tremendous amount of, uh, concern and i would say i would go so far as to say mistrust for this process because the state investigating itself you know yeah. effectively you know in this audit does this audit include anybody from outside you know of 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 what would amount to be state control or state pay it hasn't been launched yet so yeah uh, we don't know uh we don't know if it will include that right now um the highest ranking official who's been held accountable was the former Department of Veteran Affairs Director, Linda Chapelavia, who was essentially terminated for it. Um, but we know there was communication between the Veterans Affairs Department and the governor's office. They report directly to the governor's office. Um, so who in the governor's office needs to be held accountable for this? Does J.B. Yeah. Prisker himself need to be held accountable for this? Great Perhaps. It's a great question. Well, Linda Chapelavia, you know, is like, you know, I, I think we've, Obviously, we've spoken of this before. Just very, very quietly slipped out the side door in January. Um, 
you know, and, and that, that raises, you know, the, the point. It's like, who are these people that are appointed to these roles and responsibilities? I think that's maybe one of the things that's been most fascinating for people who, across Illinois who maybe didn't think so much about, like, who actually runs state government. What are these people's backgrounds? What are their credibility? You know, what is their experience in the office in which they are, uh, they are overseeing uh, activity, in theory, for the benefit of the people of the state of Illinois, the taxpaying public? Um, these jobs should matter. They should matter. She should be accountable for what occurred. She said, has said to this point, Bobkiss. She said nothing. Right. And of course, she was she was politically connected. She was a former state lawmaker who um, stepped down from her house seat to, to take this uh, governor's appointment um, to the Department of Veteran Affairs. And then um, after the this outbreak happened, after all of these deaths of veterans, um, at the LaSalle Veterans Home, she, as you mentioned, she quietly stepped out the side door, um, didn't at, didn't answer questions, hasn't answered questions. Um, we've asked Governor Pritzker plenty of questions about him. He generally dodges it. Um, there needs to be a further independent investigation into what happened. Yeah, but I mean, what what was I mean, what was her job? What what did she do before? What qualified her to be to be? Yeah, what, to be right. in the post. That's exactly. where I'm going with this. What right. qualified her to, to to do this? I mean, it just the fact that she, you know that you know that she was you know elected several times to to the to the state legislature. She was in the U.S. Army, so she she was in the U.S. Army. So okay. I don't know if that qualifies her or not to be a, a department head, essentially, a depart, uh, uh, the head of one of the most important departments uh, in state government. I, I I honestly I just can't answer that question, um, but certainly it was her uh, uh, political um, tightness with the governor that got her this appointment. All right. Let's let's keep it in the legislature. Let's talk about what's going on here. Since we're talking about you know things in Illinois as per normal on the Illinois in Focus podcast. By the way, you're listening to the Crosstalk segment. This is commentary powered by the Center Square. What's up with remote hearings, Dan? You know, Illinois has been like you know painfully, and I don't know if there's a ranking for this, but from a, from a transparency standpoint or an activity standpoint, I, I would assume there's there's no. There's no ranking for the effectiveness of, of legislatures over the past year. But, you know, there was virtually nothing done in January and 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 less than that done in the month of February legislatively. Um, now we're, you know, we're heading towards session days. Like things are, you know, things are happening, starting to happen. But they're largely virtual. And... Um, why don't you get everybody up to speed as to what's actually happened here and well, happening here legislatively in the state of Illinois? Well, and keep in mind, this was after they essentially took 2020 off. Um, you know, the, the pandemic hit. Uh, I think the first positive COVID-19 case was in February of last year in Illinois. And then things, you know, escalated. And then by, by the middle of March, um, we had uh, the lockdown orders, the shutdown orders by the governor essentially shutting down the state. And the legislature used that as an, as an excuse to stop meeting, stop meeting altogether, not even virtually. Um, they got together for a couple of days in May to pass uh, the budget that's... <laughs> Well, they stopped meeting virtually. I, I don't mean to interrupt you because there was there's no there was no um, uh, the law the way it was interpreted for legislative conduct precluded right 
virtual meeting as they interpreted it. Right. So they used that excuse essentially to do nothing in 2020. They passed an, an unbalanced, way out of whack budget in 2020. That's all they did. So here we are in 2021 after taking all of 2020 off, um, and they're canceling legislative uh, hearings and, and committee hearings and whatnot. And But when they are going to meet, they've decided they're going to meet virtually, but they're going to limit who can participate in the process. Hmm. It's it's not good government. It's not certainly not open um, government. And I know we're going to talk in a minute about what they're going to, what they're doing to the media and the media's ability to cover, cover the legislature. No. It's just, uh, and with this particular legislature, meaning the Illinois legislature, um, in the history we have with them, of them, um, for example, passing bills, what, what we call shell bills, um, um, uh, that are going to be completely uh, undone and completely reworded um, right before a vote. Uh, how can we trust what they're what they're doing? Well, and that's it. I mean, you know, the 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 work of the people should be done in the open. I mean, let's let you know, we're you and I are in agreement on that. Absolutely. I think we're also in agreement on the fact that you know that we figured out how to um, you know to operate. Uh, really, frankly, seamlessly, and I give you all the credit for that. I mean, on the editorial side, in a virtual setting. I mean, we, you know, um, you and I have seen each other in person since last March. Um, I don't know, four times, maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, uh, your team, not only your team here in Illinois, but the but the entire Center Square team across the country hasn't skipped a beat. In fact, we had a fantastic year last year. Um, you know, if you're listening here in Illinois, if you didn't know this. If you go to the center square, you can hit the drop down menu and see how many states where we do business. This is our home, our headquarters. You know, Dan and I love the state of Illinois. And, you know, we spend a lot of our time, effort and energy here, you know, thinking about things in Illinois. But we've got 35 other states that we also think about soon to be 50. Um, and it's got some other fun stuff planned for 2021, which I'm pretty excited about. But but, you know, um, here. We've been able to do this. I tip my cap to every single business that has made it through, SMBs in particular, that's made it through the past year because state government has gotten in your way virtually at, at every step that you've taken. I mean, they've, they've honestly, they've guarded you like Norm Van Leer. And you somehow were able to get to the basket and, and you've been able to score. You've not been able to score as much. You got more bruises on you. Like, honestly, like playing against Norm Van Leer, he was always going to leave a couple marks on you back in the old days. Great Bulls guard. But I appreciate your football references, uh, Chris, during the crosstalk session. <laughs> yeah, that's a basketball reference. Thanks anyway, brother. All right, so the bottom line is, um, you know, why in the world haven't we had, like, actual in-person meetings? Why is the legislature still not doing any work? Why is there not like honestly like uh, like people chasing uh, our legislators like like Frankenstein monsters with pitchforks and flaming whatevers? Uh, and of course, I'm not advocating for for any violence or, or anything like that. I'm 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 being completely truculent and and trying to have some fun with this. But why isn't there a greater level of outrage around what's not happening? Well, I, I, that's a very good question, the outrage part. There should be outrage by every single taxpayer in the state of Illinois and every single voter um, in this state of Illinois. The reason why this is ha happening or not happening, uh, so to speak, is because 
Illinois government prefers to operate behind closed doors and in secret. They they did so they've done so for years under former Speaker Michael Madigan, um, where you wouldn't even see a budget until the day you had to, to vote on it. For example. surprise, yeah, there it is. Here's the 800 pages. Uh, you got to vote on it in 33 minutes. Um, start at four o'clock in the morning. Start speed reading. Uh, so this gives this is a perfect opportunity for them to shut people out of the process. Um, so it doesn't surprise me. What does surprise me is they're not there's not that level of outrage where there that it should be. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. So you know, I was on the road last week, Dan, and I was uh, actually I wrote about it for the Sunday Read. I was down in the southeast. So I started in I South Carolina. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> Reader number one. Thank you, Danny. I was in South Carolina. I was in Georgia and I was in Florida. And, um, you know, it is just an entirely different mindset and a different attitude there. I mean, you know, you have people that are wearing masks and I, hey, look, that, that, that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. You have people keeping distance. Uh, that, that That's great. I think that that's do, do you do you. That's fine. Um, don't get in the way of businesses being open. Don't get in the way of people, you know, engaging in life in ways that they've believed to be safe and doing safe things. Don't, don't, don't tamp down liberty and the freedom of others. Like, you know, embrace it. You know, you want to stay home, stay home. That's fine. You want people go out, let them go out. I mean, I'm still waiting for the explosion, you know, of COVID cases from the Super Bowl. you know, the, the raucous street parties and da, 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 da. I mean, never happened. Just didn't happen. Okay, so that was in Florida. I think Ron DeSantis is doing a fine job. If you put DeSantis's work up against J.B. Pritzker's work, I mean, who's who's done better? I mean, who's done better? Well, there's no question that um, it's it's Governor DeSantis, and you can you can name off a couple dozen other governors. You could probably name off more than three dozen governors who's done a much better job than Governor Pritzker yeah. has done. But one of the things that I wrote about, you know, down there and, you know, talking to people, you know, it's it's always good to be in another community where you get to talk to people, you know, about what's going on, how they feel about things. The school district um, in the primary place where I, I, I stayed, which was in Camden County, Georgia, a nice, uh, nice community, um, co like co a coastal Georgia community. Right. Um, they had. Yes, they had a day that was missed this this year. Because it was there was an, a hurricane being anticipated. Other than that, the, they have not missed school. They, their kids have gone to school five days a week. Wow! It's, since since August first of last year, or the first many, week of August. How many student deaths because of COVID nineteen? Oh, oh, you know, you couldn't even count it because it isn't a number. It's zero. Yeah, empty set. You know, there's no there's no there there. So you're right? saying it's doable? Well, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying is doable. So while I was down there in Florida, or excuse me, in Georgia, uh, I was I sat on uh, on the on a patio, a screened in patio, um, had a cigar, which was I will tell you it was magnificent, and I watched a Zoom meeting of my local school district, and there was uh, the the uh, outraged mom and dad mob. Uh, and it had everything to do with the way that my local school district here in the Northwest suburbs is managing COVID that the mental health issues were the things that yeah. frankly were the, were the hardest for me to watch because we've seen that here in our, in our home too. Yeah. My youngest daughter, eight years old has gone to school. I think seven days since last St. Patrick's day or whenever it was that, that, you know, that this went down. 
seven days of in-person school. She's been trying to learn third grade stuff on an iPad. It's complete dumpster fire madness. Yeah. And, and, and the school district allowed us to think because it wasn't as if we weren't communicating with them and saying, Hey, I think there's a problem here. I don't think our kids taken to it. Our school district effectively said that our concerns were unique. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. We hear these, these stories across the country um, in, in states that have well, essentially strong teachers unions who have refused to go back to work and do their jobs, teach kids in person. Um, we've heard these horror stories everywhere. It's not unique. It's not unique to his district or to your district. Um, it's unique to every district that has refused to, to, to bring students back to the classroom. Um, it's very real um, and it's very sad. It's got to end. Yeah, it's got to end. And you know what? The local school districts, and this is one of the things that makes Illinois, you know, all that much more unique and 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 expensive, is that you you know, 850 plus. I think the number is 854 unique school districts in the state of Illinois that are making decisions on their own. So the you have 854 science and data geniuses that are that are being asked to make independent decisions, and our governor and our legislature have given them zero direction. Right. Where is the leadership? It's completely absent. Dan, I got I got I got a couple more things I want to talk about. I absolutely want to talk about the IL the uh, Illinois um, Legislative Correspondence Association and and the testing of media uh, as a requirement to go into uh, Senate chambers when the legislature comes back. So let's talk about that now, and then we'll talk a little bit about pension debt, and we'll wrap it up from there. Sounds good. Okay. So the ILCA um, is a is a collective. It's it's a, it's effectively like a, a you know a, a I guess it would be a member organization of media people who cover uh, stuff at the state house. So you know in Springfield, and they sent a letter, and the letter. Um, uh, to us, our, Greg Bishop, our, our reporter, Kevin Bessler, also our reporter, they go in and out. Uh, Cole Lauterbach has, you know, gone in and out. You and I have gone in and out of of, of the state house. Sure. Um, thankfully, I don't have to be there that often. Um, and if I never go again, that would be perfectly okay with me. Here's the letter, and the, here's the context of the letter, right? Okay, so this is just an email to all members of the ILCA, the Illinois Legislative Correspondence Association. As the Senate begins to transition back to in-person activities, we have implemented a testing requirement that applies to employees, staff, and members. This would also apply to media when we return next week. We have implemented the University of Illinois saliva test, which is done twice a week to ensure anyone in Senate facilities is negative for COVID-19. This is the same process used at the University of Illinois. Yeah, I, I, that's kind of dumb. It's pretty redundant there. We get it. Essentially, you show your negative test result email to gain access. All online access will continue for anyone not wanting to be tested. So you can't go in unless you've been tested. The ILCA offices will continue to be available regardless. So you can go there. You can go and sit in the in the Capitol, in the in in the uh, designated workplace, but you can't go into the into the Senate facilities. This testing requirement is only for in-person, in-Senate facilities, offices, committees, 
Senate chambers. Health and safety guidelines do also remain in effect. That means even with the testing, the press boxes are limited to three spots, as is the overhead TV gallery. The cost of the test is $30 per person. Media outlets would be required to cover the cost. Yes, I know I buried the lead. That's from John O'Connor of the Associated Press well, with I, the ILCA president. Yes? I, he is forwarding this message from the Senate um, Senate leadership. Right. Forwarding um, the message, right. right. That is, but that, that communication is coming through uh, AP's John O'Connor, who is the president of the ILCA. Right. And he's, he's, yes, and he's essentially relaying the message of the Senate of the Senate leadership, Democratic leadership in the, the Senate. So basically what they're saying is you have to take a test, a COVID-19 test to be able to come to work and do and 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 do the job. And right. the, the and you have to pay and you have to pay and you have to pay thirty dollars per t per test twice a week to gain access. So basically so, you're buying a ticket to go to work. Is the is the way that this works? Right, you're, you're buying a ticket to practice the First Amendment. The freedom right. of the press is is one of the five guarantees in the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And U.S. there's essentially so there's going to be one a health test that you have to take. Um, two, you have to pay to take the health test. And three, because now granted they haven't been doing a whole lot of work, but assuming that they're going to start gearing up here, you know, the legislative session theoretically doesn't end till May 30th. Um, so you're going to have to pay $60 a week to gain access for how many weeks is that? 8, 12? 12 weeks. 12 weeks. Some media outlets, smaller media outlets, um, that can be cost prohibitive. Are, yeah. you, are you essentially um, violating their First Amendment rights, violating certain media outlets' First Amendment rights to, to cover their government um, that taxpayer dollars pay for? Um because you're requiring them to get a test twice a week that they have to pay for themselves. I, I think that this is running afoul of, of, uh, of the constitution. I, I mean that, and you and I are looking at this, I think largely the same way. Right. We but, have contacted our attorney to look into it, um, to give us advice, not sure what action we're going to take. Um, we have talked about it internally a little bit, but, um, there's definitely some concerns here. Yeah. It's, uh, once, once again, Illinois makes it harder. And 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 I mean and, and Dan, for the benefit of the people that are listening and why this is like you know worth talking about, people are like, well, thirty dollars, sixty dollars, can you cover yeah, we can cover that. I don't want to cover it. And I don't I don't want to have to tell, you know, Greg Bishop, Kevin Bessler, Cole Lauterbach, or you or myself that we have to go and get a test because you know, because we need to walk into into a particular building. Aren't there social distancing and 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 uh mask uh, requirements to be in there that we would, uh, as a matter of, of compliance follow. Absolutely. Right. I mean, it's cause we're not in there, you know, we're not going to go in there and run around with no masks on or, or to, you know, to kind of break the, the sort of the, the third wall of, of, uh, you know, of, of Illinois Kabuki political theater. We we're there to do some work. Right. right, we're there to we're there to do our jobs. We're not there to make any political points and make any political statements. We're going to follow the health guidelines that they have. Um, but taking it, this the, my first reaction to this is this was a heavy-handed approach by Senate leadership 
Um, and uh, I know I, I'm, I'm certain other media outlets are going to challenge this as well um, and push back on it. We'll see. We'll see what the outcome is. But even to consider this is just ridiculous. Well, and what about the house? I mean, can the house have a completely separate test requirement? Can they just set up a you know a completely different set of of obstacles or barriers? There are more people in the house than there are in the Senate. Wouldn't there be greater density in the House than Absolutely. there would be in the Senate? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Twice as Nonsense. many. Twice as many representatives. Theoretically, twice as many staff members. Um, um, so we haven't heard from the House yet. So we don't know what's coming there. Um, but I can tell you, just based on our discu internal discussions on this, there's going to be a lot of um, uh, pushback on it. Well, and I think that there should be. I've been disappointed by you know simply the way that the legacy media in Illinois have you know thought about the first amendment and first amendment issues over the past year you know when the governor's office went after the center square for stories that we had written about what the governor's office was and wasn't doing fair balanced sourced straight news stories nobody in the state of illinois stepped up you know they turtled right and, and, and to be honest with you, the way that the state of Illinois in particular, the capital establishment, capital media, reminds me very much of the group of people that covered Major League Baseball in the media during the steroid era that just kind of watched the players get bigger, 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 watched home runs go farther, watched more home runs occur and never, ever, ever pushed it until it became to the point that you had guys who'd hit two home runs the year before hitting 30 and 10 home runs the year before hitting 50. It wasn't until then that it was just so apparent that something was wrong that they had to write about it. Haven't we reached the point in Illinois as we move into the final thing that we want to talk about pension debt haven't we reached a point where you know moody's is saying that our, our our actual unfunded obligations in the state of illinois are more like 300 billion dollars yeah that was a that was an eye opener um the the state calculates its pension debt uh, a lot differently than these investment uh service firms uh, do illinois says its pension debt for its five state funded um, public pension systems um, is about closer to $144 billion underfunded. Uh, 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 Moody's came out yesterday and said, uh, not so fast, it's closer to $317 billion. That's, that, is that a lot? <laughs> if you took every single Illinois resident, not just taxpayers, I'm talking about babies, you know, elementary students, the entire population of Illinois, everybody would owe $25,000 just to pay off our pension debt. That doesn't include what we owe for health care for retirees. This is just the public pensions, um, the retirement benefits, essentially the salaries that retired folks who worked in state government uh, are due to make um, in their retirement years. $317 billion. That's almost a 20% increase from what the pension debt was in 2019. So, so you're saying that those plans are too rich and that we can't afford them? 
It's, I mean, it's, it's just, it's mind boggling. That is mind boggling. So how do we fix that? Hey, what's going on with the, with the FET, with the FET, with federal efforts? I mean, it's kind of pulled us back, right? I mean, because Governor J.B. Pritzker's, you know, his, his phone a friend, you know, at the end of, uh, at the end of the lifeline here was going to be, you know, the, the uh, Biden Harris and uh, Pelosi Schumer show. Um, How's it looking for blue state bailouts and and how much of this could possibly be ladled uh, into into the into federal responsibility? Well, the House passed the the one point nine trillion dollar Biden bailout plan. Uh, it's now in the Senate uh, where it's uh, its fate is murkier. Of course, the Senate is divided evenly 50, uh, 50 Democrat or independent. Uh, candidates, or, or excuse me, office holders, 50 Republican office holders. Um, Kamala Harris, the vice president, does hold the tiebreaker if anything comes down to 50-50, but there are plenty of conservative Democrats who are questioning the amount uh, of money that's in, in this package and the and what the package uh, is expected to pay for, which includes right. a lot of non-COVID-19. Oh, there's a lot of bacon uh, in there, isn't there? Oh, yeah, a lot of pork. Uh, as, as as we like to call it, so it's it's fate is unclear in the Senate. The Senate Republicans are pushing for a much smaller uh, package that is tied exclusive, exclusively to COVID nineteen related expenses. Um, but what's in the Biden uh, Harris plan includes bailouts of for non-COVID related expenses, including expenses that have been incurred over decades because of poor poor fiscal management. Um, as you mentioned, Governor Pritzker does have his hand out uh, or his hat out. Uh, maybe it's his Lincoln hat looking for looking That's for. That's going to be a pretty protocols. deep stove stovepipe hat. I mean, that hat would have to be like pretty deep pockets. Not not to drag my my dear friend Dr. Seuss into this, but it would have to be a oh cat boy, in the hat. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not, not going to do it. I want to. <laughs> I know I really you do. I know you do. I saw your no. Facebook post. I'm not going to uh, do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I and you know, here's the thing: it's like competing interests. You know, I I would love to be able to think that I could spend the rest of my life living in Illinois, because I love this state. I mean, it's not where I grew up, it's not where I'm from, but I've you know I've lived the vast majority of my life here. You know, raised a family here. I've got children who, you know, that this is pretty much all they know. Same but with it, my kids. Same yeah, with right. My kids. yeah, right, 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 right. I mean, and but how 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 do you do that? Because you set them up here, so they're going to have to stay here. Yeah, and and you know it's it's them, it's our kids that are going to face this the burden of this this outlandish pension debt. Because um, this this is not going to get paid off in a few years. This is not going to pay paid off in a couple of decades. Uh, Three hundred and seventeen billion dollars when the state is losing residents year in and out year in and out year in and year out to out migration fewer residents are going to be left behind to pay it um it's 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 unfathomable how we're going to pay that off we need a constitutional amendment uh to 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 end essentially the guaranteed pension clause um because they're unaffordable yeah, state I mean, public well, pensions are unaffordable that's well, well said well stated um uh, dan i think um I think our race has been run today. It's good it was to good spend discussion. some time. Good yeah, discussion. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, man. You know, always. You know, you, you always bring the. You know, I mean, just so much 
so much intelligence to this. <laughs> Carry me through this week after week after week. I would guess Thank some you. listeners see it differently, but I doubt that. I, I, I doubt that. The star of the show, Dan McHale, executive editor of the Center Square. Thanks again, Dan. Thank you. For Dan McHale, this has been Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square here in Illinois. Thank you for joining us. Now over to Greg Bishop to a look at what the Center Square will be working on next week. Next week, the Illinois Senate will be in session in Springfield, but the Illinois House is canceled. Both chambers will still hold virtual hearings on a variety of issues. We'll also be near to the full year of COVID-19 executive orders from Governor J.B. Pritzker and the team at thecentersquare.com will review the impacts of those restrictions on the state's economy, the employers, and employees. This has been Illinois in Focus. For more Illinois stories and commentary online, visit thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square, Illinois, I'm Greg Bishop.